Triple Whale has just launched a simple finance platform called FinHub, and I'm already loving it. One simple dashboard for all the tools and accounts you're already using, so you can gain clarity with your consolidated data, your real-time cash flow, your accrual P&Ls. It's designed to help those brands that are built on Shopify to operate smarter. So go over to triplewhale.com and check it out. But then when I explained it to them in a way of, hey, what if you weren't able to cancel your Netflix subscription? Like, would you ever want to use Netflix again? Would you tell your friends about it? Welcome to a very special guest on Pit Stop today, the legendary Carice Hendrick. Carice has saved her clients over $100 million through fraud prevention and chargeback reduction making her one of the most trusted advisors and consultants in the space over the last 15 years. In this episode of Pitstop, we're going to be talking about preventing Shopify chargebacks. Unfortunately, they happen sometimes, but they cost you big. For every dollar charged back, it costs you as a merchant $3.36. So you definitely want to be preventing them. Carice, thank you so much for joining me for a few episodes of Pitstop. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm sure we could turn this into a 45-minute episode if we want to. But let's take a look at chargebacks and how they relate to you in fraud. And please correct me where I'm wrong here, but I would say that chargebacks are just one of the most common types of fraud. And I'm sure you could educate me if there are different types of fraud, almost like passive and active churn. I'm sure there's fraud that's just blatant theft using credit cards, but then there's also people who just kind of charge back instead of doing a refund or return. So I feel like there could be a couple of different chargebacks there on sort of a sliding fraudy scale. Yeah, so I mean, if you put them into buckets, typically the chargebacks that merchants online are going to see are in two different ones, either service-related or fraud-related. Uh, there are well over 40 different chargeback reason codes, especially between Visa, MasterCard, Amex, and Discover. I've simplified them for my clients in different buckets based on requirements, etc. But essentially, the two main types of chargebacks you're going to get are either related to service, right? So I didn't get the product. It wasn't as described on your website. I you know, tried to get a refund and couldn't get a hold of someone, all of that, or they call their bank and they claim fraud. And I think that's what you're getting at when you say like the sliding fraudy scale. People know that if they just call and say, hey, it was a fraudulent website, I want my money back. Part of the problem is it's, we live in a consumer world, right? And as consumers, that's awesome. If there's something, if we put something on our credit card, especially, but really any payment method online, we know that we can call our bank and get our money back. Unless you are a merchant online, you usually don't know that the person or the entity that's actually paying you back is the merchant. This could be a whole like hour-long podcast in itself about why that is, but essentially it was just adopting, like nobody sat around at any card brand and said, oh, in 20 years, there's going to be this thing called the internet, and so we need to create all these special rules for it. Instead, it just kind of got rolled into what's known in the banking world as card not present. And so essentially the liability of a chargeback, whether it's fraud or service related, well, mostly fraud. If it's in person, the bank is responsible. If it's online, the merchant is responsible. And unfortunately, when a customer calls their bank and says, ah, my card was stolen or I didn't make that purchase, 
the banks just taking their word for it, especially since 2011, blah, blah, blah. There were rule changes that made that so much easier. The bank is saying, okay, well, my customer said that they didn't do the transaction, so we're going to throw over a chargeback. And then it's up to the merchant really to be able to prove whether the cardholder participated or not. And I think we'll talk about that more in another episode. But yeah, so really, you know, some people look at all chargebacks as fraud and look at it as they are, you know, as merchants, they're the victim when a chargeback comes in. And in some cases, that's absolutely true. But in other times, there's a lot of things you can actually do to prevent chargebacks. There's something that caused your cardholder to call their bank and say they wanted their money back. And so how can you fix that before they get to that point? Yeah, I think that that's a great question. And it goes into the first thing that you mentioned in service, which is a great time to do a little organic plug of Gorgeous, where you can ensure that any tickets related to some of these chargebacky words, and it's a big reason why a lot of those times answering those common tickets like, hey, where's my order, and showing that you are providing a timely response to that, that you are a legitimate company and doing your part to put you in a better position to win more chargebacks, which we'll talk about in a couple of episodes. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. But good customer service, it's not just a cost center of paying your agents. It's preventative for your chargebacks, but it's also, it can be a revenue generator of supporting people in the product that they need, not the product that they're going to return. And especially if it's a high ticket item, if it's like a $300 bicycle seat and then you get charged back on that, that's costing you a ton of money, a ton. Almost a thousand dollars, right? So that statistic at the beginning of the episode that you shared came from an annual study that comes from LexisNexis and it's called the True Cost of Fraud Survey. And when they first started this, I, at least when I started quoting it, it was around $2.12. So it's gone up. And really what they're putting in that is, you know, for anyone that hasn't gotten a chargeback yet online, that transaction is done and over with, right? A lot of times you're getting a a chargeback 30, 60, 90 days after you shipped a product or after you provided a service. So your product's already out the door and now your bank has debited your bank account. And so now you're out the cost of those goods plus the cost of transaction, but then you also have chargeback fees from your processor. Then you have the cost of responding to it if you do. And then you have the, you know, all the things, that's what goes into that, that 3.36 X factor. And so it is something that I have definitely throughout my career come to really firmly believe and I've seen it in action so many different ways with some of the biggest companies in the world that really when it comes to chargebacks it's a one-two punch right so the first punch is preventing them the rules aren't fair for online businesses in chargebacks so the best thing to do is not get that chargeback in the first place so what are some things merchants can do other than use quality partners and end vendors like using a fulfillment center like Shipall that has a 99.5% order fulfillment accuracy. When I see stats like that, I think, okay, less chargebacks. Or if you know that your shipping times are going to be all over the place, setting up in your post-purchase flow and omni-send another email that just says, hey, if you need anything, reply to this email. Given ships tipping over in the port, the world burning down, just let us know if you have a problem and we will do our best to take care of you. 
just little things like that. Yeah. During COVID, I think a lot of people started seeing, you know, one, two, three months into it, there'd be a lot of notices in red on websites, right? Saying due to COVID, our shipping is not as fast as it used to be. And then companies would send follow-up emails. So really good communication. I mean, to me, I feel like if I go to a company, the first thing I do is actually a root cause analysis. And a very simple way to do this is just look at the top two to three most common reason codes that you're receiving and take it with a grain of salt because the fraud reason code is the easiest one for the banks to file. So a lot of times within that reason code, especially for very large merchants, when I'm looking at it, only about 60% were issues where the credit card was stolen. But that's another conversation. But you're looking at those reason codes and you see, huh, the number one reason code I'm getting for chargebacks is did not arrive, did not receive, or not as described. Let me go down and figure out, are we describing this item correctly? Are we setting good expectations on when you're going to get your product, etc.? Is there a way for our customers to know how to contact us directly rather than just call their bank? Some of the basic things that can be very effective are making sure that the descriptor with your merchant processor is recognizable to your customers. So the descriptor that you have with your merchant processor, sometimes they just call it the DBA, the doing business as uh, field, that's what your customers are going to see on their credit card statement. So make sure it's something that your customer recognizes. Don't have it be like your parent company or, or your initials, right? Have it be when they open up their card statement or they look it up online. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Or, oh, maybe my kid made that purchase. I'm going to check with them first. Also make sure that your phone number is on that. And that's something that not everyone does that they totally should, especially if your demographic is older. I have to be careful now when I say older because I'm starting to get in that demographic. But, <laughs> but you know, baby boomers, even Gen Z a little bit, they'll prefer to call rather than go online. Make sure your customers know how to contact you on the website, uh, that it's you know on their credit card statement, it's also on the site. If you're a recurring model, they can cancel on your website. Otherwise, they're just going to call their bank because they know their bank's going to take care of it. Yeah, what's with it being really hard to cancel credit card subscriptions? Because I had heard that Pornhub.com makes it really hard to cancel and you have to call in because nobody's going to say, oh, I want to cancel my premium pornography subscription and it's so socially awkward. They just keep that money. I'm like, okay, that's a pretty scummy tactic. Makes sense for them to do that. And then I tried to cancel my Wall Street Journal subscription and it was just like that. And I'm sure that the data shows the more friction we add into the cancellation process, the more revenue we earn. But I mean, the aftertaste, the lasting impression is that you are just as scummy as an adult video store. Yeah, yeah. so you are 100% right. And this is a conversation I have had for years with literally some of the biggest companies and subscriptions. And it's interesting to me how a lot of them after a little while will kind of come around to where I'm saying it. And I'm sensitive to that, right? Obviously, there are subscriptions that I probably have right now that the only reason why, it's not that I use them, it's just because I haven't canceled it yet, right? So I had a client a couple years ago who just arbitrarily made up a rule that no one could cancel within a year. Actually, Visa and MasterCard have clear rules around that, that there's only a few different specific types of businesses that can do that. And I mean, even then, it's it's not a, a subscription. It's an installment payment plan. Exactly. That was exactly, yes. And they're a very big brand. And it was a newer business model for them. It, it was a new line of business. But they 
could not, you know, understand why their chargebacks were so high. And I looked at the data and then I got on a phone call with some of their top people and asked just a few basic questions. And when I said, how do people cancel? They said, well, they can't. And I, so I'm like, tell me more about that. And when we talked about it, I said, well, this is exactly why you have so many chargebacks and you are in trouble with the card brands because this isn't always known, but the card brands, especially Visa and MasterCard, they're keeping track of your chargeback volume just as your processor is. And if it gets to over a 1% ratio of the number of sales you have in a month per card brand and also you have to have more than 100 chargebacks a month so it's not going to impact everyone but for this company they were on that list and they were facing significant fines and fees and within six months they were going to be shut down by visa and mastercard if they didn't get it under control and so when i finally kind of explained it to them they were very like well no we have to do this because we have to be able to cover the costs of everything that we've put into this SaaS offering and I said I understand that but then when I explained it to them in a way of hey what if you weren't able to cancel your Netflix subscription like would you ever want to use Netflix again would you tell your friends about it and it really is to me a brand issue where some of the retailers you know Costco and Nordstrom and REI people spend more money with them because they know that they can return things right it's similar with subscriptions it's that assurance right and it's similar in subscription billing where if people know that they can cancel it, they're not going to call their bank. And because here's one other thing, if your listeners do have subscription models, when it comes to chargebacks, cardholders can charge back up to the last three months of monthly subscriptions. So you're not just getting a chargeback for last month, you're getting up to the last three months. So sometimes companies will implement a process of if somebody calls and asks for a refund, and they're you know making a deal out of it they'll give them two months just so that they don't call their bank and get the third month for free too wow so i know we are up on time a little bit is there anything else to touch on for preventing chargebacks because i feel like we could just harp on this all day between us i think we know just about every secret to, to put you in the best chance to prevent and win chargebacks, but you're, you'll still get them even if you do everything right, which I think makes them so frustrating. What else should they know on how to prevent chargebacks? Does having a good privacy policy or anything like that on the website really matter? I feel like there are just so many pages that nobody reads on, on websites anymore that are all just boilerplate. Does having that actually help or what should merchants be, be doing? Yeah, so having your clear policies at the time of purchase, primarily your refund policy and then your terms of service, is super important. And being able to have it in a place that the customer acknowledges it. Now, we know (laughs) there was that study like 10, 15 years ago I used to cite all the time where one business, online business, put in something in their terms and conditions that if you contacted them, you'd get $10,000 or something. And they had that up for a year and no one did that until one person. So we get that, but having those things on your website are actually going to be almost like an insurance policy for when you do receive chargebacks. Because to your point, you can do everything right and you will still get some. But I can honestly tell you, if you don't do anything, if you're not being conscious about this, about a good customer experience, about you know good messaging and, 
and everything else and just being fair to them, it's going to bite you and it's going to be really hard. So definitely I think the biggest takeaway is that they can be prevented. The majority of them can, right? There will always be a few, but when you do have those few, when you have things in place like clear messaging at the time of purchase about what the refund policy is or isn't, then if a chargeback does come in, you can provide that clearly and say, the customer was made aware of this before they pressed purchase. So really it's that one-two punch, right? And we'll talk about that second punch on a future episode, but that first one is just all about understanding that you don't have to be a victim. It's not something where these are just a cost of doing business. I have worked with some well-known brands that have had that you know, perspective. And then when I've done an analysis and say, but hey, if you do X, Y, and Z, you can prevent this percentage of chargebacks. And if you do A, B, and C, you can get back this much. All of a sudden they start to care. So it's not something that you just, you know, can like accept and go, oh, it's just part of doing business. Like there are things you can do to optimize, just like you're talking about on your podcast optimizing emails and optimizing the checkout process and all of that. There are a lot of ways to optimize chargebacks too. And I think that's, that's my closing message. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I know people can find you on the Fraudology podcast. Your name is in the description and in the title. So people can just type that into Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Audible, wherever you're listening to Pitstop, make sure you're following me there. And if you are, then you still need more podcasts because the short tactical pit stop isn't filling up your day. Go check out Carice over with her podcast, Fraudology, wherever you like to listen. on television in primetime can lead to a large number of sales. Just ask anyone who was in the tank pitching their business or the co-founder of TB12 what happened after he won the Super Bowl or whatever I'm allowed to call it in this ad for ship pop. TB12 had four times their normal sales volume in December and they were able to get all of those orders out on time because they're partnered with ShipBob. You can partner with ShipBob too. Head to ShipBob.com, get a quote, see what difference it could make for your business. Hawaii Tea Time said aloha, hello, to Mesa and said aloha, hello, to $27,000 in savings. Patch Panel saved $37,000 in automations through Mesa. How much can you save with Mesa? Well, head to GetMesa.com or find Mesa, M-E-S-A, in the Shopify app store to find out. Triple Whale is doing some amazing things nowadays. They're developing just a huge range of tools to help your brand stay informed and scale. And Whale Mail is where you can get all these details. So head over to TripleWhale.com and sign up today.